Well, this is weird to see people from first service and second service, like in the same room. I don't know about you, but it's just kind of like weird. It's kind of one of those things where you wake up from a dream and you're not sure if it's real yet. It's, it's kind of one of those things, I think, uh, for me, because I'm just i not used to seeing you guys all in one spot. So uh, this is just crazy. So hopefully I can, I'm able to preach this morning uh, and, and, and kind of get past all, figure that out. But we are glad that you're here this morning. Uh, thank you for being here and um, happy Wana Fest weekend to you. You know, we do everything Wana something uh, in Wana Key. So it's Wana Bowl, Wana. You know, we, I was telling somebody, we joked about when we were talking about the name of the church, we thought Wana Church might be something. I'm so glad we didn't do that. But uh, we thought about it. We just, you know, we joked around about it for a little while. Uh, but we're glad to have everybody here this morning. It's great to have a great crowd. But uh, for those of you who are here for the very first time, I know uh, a couple of you are here for the very first time. And so we're, uh, we're glad to have you. We want to say welcome to you. Uh, glad to have, have you here. And we want you to know uh, another thing, and that is that this is a safe place for you. It's a safe place for you, no matter where you're at with God, whether you believe in God, whether you don't believe in God, whether you've been walking with God for a long time, or maybe you're just kind of starting. Uh, wherever you're at, this is a safe place for you. Um, I wanted to start out with a story, as a lot of times I do. When I was 16 years old, uh, I went in to take my driving test. you guys remember that, taking your driving test? How many of you, like, that was a good memory, some of you, bad memory, and I, and I understand that, that's cool, uh, but when I went in to take my driving test, you know, I was a teenager, obviously, I'm 16 years old, so I was nervous, I was nervous, because I was like, I don't know, number one, I, I, I know how to drive, but, you know, I'm going to have this guy sitting here, and he's going to be watching my every move, and I was just nervous whether or not I could do it, and, and you know, how it was going to go, and I just wanted everything to go just perfect. You know what I mean? I wanted to pass. I wanted to get my license. I wanted to be done. Well, there was a couple of problems with this whole thing being perfect. First of all, the car that I was going to have to take in and use to take my driver's test was the family vehicle. And at that time, it was a station wagon. So I lost cool points as soon as I drove into the parking lot to take this test. I mean, that was gone. It was out the window as a 16-year-old. I mean, I was thankful for the car, but it still, it was a station wagon. You know what I mean? And, and so that, I kind of lost some cool points. But there was another problem with the driving test. And that was this, that right before, like, I don't know if it was a day or two before, I really don't remember. But either way, right before the driving test, in this vehicle that I had to use for the driving test, uh, there, a short happened in one of the wiring system in, in the steering wheel or in the signal, whatever. But what happened was whenever you would turn the signal on to turn right or to left, you know, the blinker, anytime you would do that, the windshield wipers would go. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be awesome. I don't know if you remember. You have to use the turn signal a lot during the driving test. Like you lose points if you don't, if you forget to do that. I mean, you turn right, you turn left, then you turn two rights, and then you take another left, and then you have to do the parallel park, and you have to turn on your signal. You have to do the wide turn. You have to use your signal, and then you have, you have to use your signal for everything. Well, that was fun, let me tell you, because we got out on the driving test, and I tried to explain this to the guy. And so he's like, okay, uh, come up here. Would you please make a right-hand turn? You know, and so I slide over. I check my blind spot. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> one of those kind of deals. And it was just, it was just not good. It was so, as a 16 year old, I'm just like, oh, I can't believe this. I have to take a driving test in this vehicle where the windshield wipers flap every time I turn on the stupid signal. And so it was just one of those things. It was not perfect. 
But it was, it was one of those things we got through it and, and everything turned out okay. But it just drove me crazy. It was like, why doesn't this work? This is not the way that I planned this day to go or my driving test to be. This is just not working. Well, I want to bring up another driving thing. Do you remember driver's ed? Remember driver's education? When you had to get in the car and, and, and you have maybe some other student drivers in there, but you always had the instructor. And the instructor sat in the passenger seat, right, shotgun. And, uh, and, and he or she was always there. And you remember what they had on the floor in those cars? They had a second break, didn't they? They had a second break. That's really important that they had a second break, right? They had a second break. And some, I, I've never actually been in these driver's head cars, but they say that they actually have a second steering wheel. I've heard that. I've never actually seen one of those. I think that's kind of weird. But anyway, they have an extra steering wheel, but they at least have that second break so that they can make sure they can hit the brakes if they need to to keep everybody in the car safe uh, because we are just learning to drive. And if you remember that, and it's just kind of one of those things. Well, I bring those two stories up or those uh, examples up because today the story we're going to talk about, we're going to get into this tension that we have between us as people and God. I don't know if you realize this, and I'm sure you do, that there's a tension between us and God. And the tension, the, the rub, the balance is between God's authority in our life in us controlling our own lives. Did you know that? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's this tension that we have between faith in God, trusting God for everything in our life, trusting how He's going to guide and direct us, and, and then our own control and what we want to do or what we think is best. There's a constant struggle and tension between us and God in a relationship. Well, the story we're going to talk about kind of has to deal with this. And it's kind of like that driver's test. And it's kind of like driver's ed. It's, it, we kind of wonder, why does God have his own brake? Right? Why does God sometimes seem to put the brakes on in life? And we're like, I was going here. I was doing this. This is what my plan is. And God hits that brake and you go, what's going on, God? What's the deal? You know? And, and maybe he has his own steering wheel and he makes a turn in life. And you go, why? where did that come from? And so we're going to talk about a story where the Israelites, the, the nation of God, uh, really has to wrestle with this, uh, this, this whole thing in this story. So we're wrapping up the power of a story today. Uh, and, the, and the story we're going to look at, you maybe have heard of it. Some of you maybe have never even heard of this. It's called the manna and the quail. Quail is in like the bird. Okay. The manna and the quail. And so let me just set up the story real quick. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in chapter 16 of Exodus. And we'll, we'll get that up there in a, in a little bit once I get to the reading part. But let me set up the story for us real quick. Moses, you guys, you guys remember Moses, right? He has the Ten Commandments. He gets the Ten Commandments from God, all kind of stuff. Let my people go, that guy, you know, like manly man. Yeah, all that stuff. Okay, challenges Pharaoh. So this is after all of that has happened. Moses has put this before Pharaoh, says, let my people go. The people are actually released from slavery in Egypt. And so we think, we don't know exactly, but there's probably around a million people in Egypt that were Hebrew slaves at the time. These are the people, by the way, that helped build some of the, uh, the big stuff that we see in Egypt today. 
It was through slave labor, a lot of it anyway. Okay? And so they actually are released, and there's probably a million people. And Moses, they get to the Red Sea. And remember the Red Sea scene? The Red Sea, they're trapped at the water, and the Pharaoh's army decides that they want to actually go after all these slaves and either bring them back to Egypt or kill them. And so they chase them. Well, they're trapped at the Red Sea, and then God miraculously parts the waters. And the, the Israelites and Moses, they all walk through on dry land, and then the waters come back together and kind of get rid of uh, Pharaoh's army pretty quickly. And now the Israelites are now on the other side from Egypt, and now they're going through the wilderness, the desert. Okay, Moses is leading them as God's directing him through the desert. And, and, and now it's about a month after the Red Sea has happened. Okay, so about four weeks. So that puts it in context. And the people are going to start kind of complaining, kind of grumbling about life at this point. Okay, that's where we're going to pick up the story. After the Red Sea, they've been in the desert, in the wilderness for four weeks now. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. So Exodus chapter 16, starting with verse 1, going through verse 3. Then the whole community of Israel, remember, probably about a million people, set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. That's not like sin against God, but just Sinai. It's kind of related to that word. Between Elam and Mount Sinai, they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. It's just telling us that this is a real story. This is the timing of when this all happened. Okay? There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. These are the guys that are leading them. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. So you can see that they're upset. Can you, did you get that gist? <laughs> Just a little bit? Okay. And they're, they're kind of getting into this. They're upset. They're frustrated with where they're at. They're frustrated with God. And this brings us to the first problem. And that is, when we have lack of faith, it leads to lies. Lack of faith in God, lack of trust in God, leads to lies. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. When we do not put our hope and our trust in God, then we start believing the lies that other people in the world around us is telling us. Because we don't have that protection of the truth. When we don't put our hope and our trust and our faith in God, then we start believing we can get twisted by, by the truth. And really remember what lies are. Lies are not the opposite of truth necessarily. Technically it is, but it's not only the opposite of truth. Really the danger in lies is that it's the twisting of what is the truth. Lies almost always have an element, if not mostly, true. It's just twisted a little bit, just enough to make it untrue. And so this is what the Israelites' problem is. They have a lack of faith problem, and so they start complaining. It brings up a really, really big issue because they say, Man, God, if they, I wish God would have just killed us in Egypt. Really? They're asking for God to have killed them earlier? That's how, that's how bad it's gotten? Like, that's how twisted the reality, the truth has come to them? They want to be killed in Egypt? And this, this brings up a huge issue because what, what is the real issue? What the real issue is, they're hungry, and they don't trust that God's going to provide for them to eat. Isn't that what it comes down to? Really? They're not saying they want to die. They don't actually want to die. I mean, that's what they're saying. They're complaining about it that way. But that's not what they mean. What they mean is we're hungry and God, we don't trust that you're going to take care of it. And we're just mad. We're upset about it. Why are we in the desert here all by ourselves and no food to eat? 
It's ridiculous. Should have killed us back there in Egypt. Right? But what they don't see is there's a twisting of the truth. The second problem is this. Okay? The lack of faith is believe, they're believing some lies that they're telling themselves. Did you catch it? They said, back in Egypt, we sat around pots that were full of meat and bread and we, had, we could eat what we wanted. The truth is, though, yes, did they have food in Egypt? Well, of course they did. The Egyptians made sure that they were fed well, or at least sort of well, so that they could do their job for them. So, of course, they had the food. But what the Israelites were forgetting was that they were slaves in Egypt. That they were treated like slaves, they lived like slaves, they were beaten like slaves. But all they can think of, they've twisted the truth, and they feel like they were better off in Egypt instead of in the desert, in the wilderness. And they can't trust that God is going to provide. And so that's where they're at. They have a lack of faith issue, a lack of faith problem. But let's go into the next part of the story and see, because the, the fact is, you guys know, we know, God has a plan for them, doesn't he? He, he, wasn't gonna, he didn't take them out in the desert and be like, oh, uh-oh. You know, God kind of has that light bulb moment, remember? God doesn't have light bulb moments. But, he, you know, all, oh, the desert, uh-oh, wait a minute. You know what, I forgot, guys. We should probably head back to Egypt. There's no food in the desert. Sorry about that, you know. No, God doesn't, it's not like God messed up. God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. And so now God is going to reveal it to them. Okay? They just weren't patient enough. They didn't trust God enough to actually wait for it. So here, let's go to verses 4 and 5. God says what the plan is. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, He's going to reveal to Moses, then he'll reveal to the people, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. That's kind of cool. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this. Did you notice that? I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. What God is saying is, I'm going to see if they have faith. That's just another way of saying it. I'm going to see if they have faith in me. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and, they, and then, when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. And so we'll get into why that is in just a minute. So this is what God says. He says, I have a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. And I didn't read this part, but what God is going to do, he says, I'm going to provide meat in the evenings. Again, we didn't read that part, but that's what I'm going to do. That's part of the plan. He's going to provide meat in the evenings and he's going to provide this other food that's going to rain from heaven. I don't know about you. That'd be pretty cool to see. He's going to rain food from heaven in the mornings. So that they have food throughout the day and they're going to have meat in the evenings. Okay, so this is the plan. So what Moses does, he spends the rest of the day letting everybody know this. Remember, he has to tell a million people. Okay, so he gets all of his leaders together and he says, okay, guys, here's the plan. That's what God told me. So go tell everybody this. I know it sounds a little crazy, but just, just tell them. Go. Right? And he goes out and they tell everybody. So everybody hears this. They're like, okay, <laughs> Moses has lost it. You know, I guaranteed some are probably saying that, right? They're like, okay, Moses has totally lost it at this point. He says, tell everybody this. So let's go and see what actually happens. Verses 13 through 15. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. You know what the Israelites did? They grabbed those birds and they ate them. And it was good. And they're like, wow, that was pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. 
They had no idea what it was, and Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. So basically, everything that God said was going to happen, happens. The quail flies in, all these, they, they flew in and everything, and they were able to have meat to eat. And then the next morning, the, the dew comes in, they have this flaky substance. And by the way, the reason this story is called the manna and the quail, you know what the Hebrew word manna is? If you translate the word manna, it means, what is it? And the Israelites, they never actually came up with a better term. I don't know why they didn't, but they literally called it manna for the rest of the time in the desert, which is going to be for 40 years, by the way. And, and, and they're going to call it manna for the rest of the time because they didn't know what to call it. So they called it, what is it? For the, can you imagine telling your kids, uh, what's for dinner tonight? Well, still, it's still, what is it? We're having, what is it for dinner? I mean, they didn't say, what is it? But they said manna, but that's what it means. What is it is for dinner? Again, you know? A little bit of quail too, right? I mean, but God provides the food that they needed. And so they go through this. But the problem is this. The problem is this. The people still lack faith. Even when God shows up and miraculously provides meat for them and this flaky, what is it stuff called manna, then they go in there and, and they still don't trust God. They're still not sure about this whole this whole plan, this whole business, it's going to work out okay. Let me prove it. Okay, let's go to the next couple of verses. Verse 17 through 20. This is what it says. Next part of the story. So the people of Israel did as they were told. They collected all the food and all stuff. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it. Until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was angry with them. Why was Moses angry with them? Because he said, don't save any of that. Don't. But don't stick any in the refrigerator. They didn't have any of those, I'm just saying. But, you know, whatever they had. Put it in the little, little sack that you have there or whatever. And don't save any of this food for later. Don't save it for the next day because it's not going to be any good. It's not going to work that way. God will provide. We have to trust him. But you know what people did? They're like, are you crazy, Moses? Look at all the food on the ground. We're going to take some more for like, you know, at midnight they get hungry. There's no Taco Bell open. We need some manna for when that happens. Or tomorrow morning if the kids get up early, what if God doesn't rain it down, you know, early on? I mean, my two-year-old is going to need to eat. Right? We think in practical terms and you go, well, I kind of see why they maybe did this. And they're trying to plan ahead. They're trying to be smart about it. And Moses says, God says, don't worry about it. I will provide it. Trust me, God says. And he rains this stuff down. And notice that God provided exactly what was needed. He provided just enough for them. They didn't have too much. They didn't have too little. They had just enough. But I don't know about you. As people, sometimes, doesn't that drive you crazy? Couldn't we have just a little extra? Like, a little bit just in case? A little bit for later? And God says, I gave you enough. Trust me. And I'm going to rain it down every morning. And then you're going to have the quail. It's fine. You're good to go. And the people have a hard time on what they did. But what they did is they're trying to collect more. And, and, and let's get really deep into this. Okay? Some people, they saved the food because they simply did not trust that the next morning it was going to happen again. 
They're like, wow, that was really cool. I bet this is a one-time thing, though. So let's get as much as we can, you know? And here's what I get. What, I don't know about this. This is reading into it a little bit. But I wonder if some people were collecting more of the manna, more of the food, so that they, for all the lazy people or all the people that didn't plan ahead or whatever the case is, they were going to sell them food the next day. You think there were some entrepreneurs in, up in there? I would guess so. And so God says, no, this is not a manipulation thing. This is not a take, take advantage of people thing. I am going to provide. You're going to eat it. And it's going to be just enough for all of you, your whole family. Trust me, God says. And here's the deal. When we try to control what God is going to do in our life, it just doesn't turn out well. Did you notice what happens to the food that the people tried to save? Do you remember what it said? It went bad. It went bad. And it wasn't because, by the way, it's not just because they didn't have refrigeration. It's because God made it bad. Because he needed the people to understand, you have to trust on me, not just on one day, but every day. You need to trust that I am going to provide for you every day, not just one of the good days or, or the one of the good weeks. I'm going to provide for you every single day. And this brings up the, the second point, and it is this. Faith must be renewed each day. Every day that you and I get up, every morning when we get up, we have a choice to make. I don't care how awesome you were in trusting God the day before. If you don't trust God that next day, you've lost that trust in God. Trust me, uh, believe me, I'm talking to myself here as well. I can have, I'm a pastor, so uh, I, I'm kind of in this thing constantly where I either need to help people trust God more or I need to trust God more all the time. I'm in this tension just like you guys are. And it's hard because there's some days that I am really good. I trust God and I go, you know, he tells me to do something, just I need to go talk to this person or I need to do this. And I'm like, that's crazy, but okay. And I listen and I do it and I see, wow, amazing blessings pour down as a result. And, but then the next day, for whatever reason, maybe I'm feeling less risky. Maybe I'm feeling less faithful with, with God or whatever it is. And he asked me to do something. And I'm like, ah, oh, I just, no, I, I just, I don't think I, I I'm not going to do that. That's just too, it's too out of the box for me. Or I'm just too tired. I don't have time to do that, God. I'm, thank you, but I'm just, I'm busy today. Have you been there? It's a constant daily renewal of our faith every day. And I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's what drives me crazy. It's like, God, can't you just give me manna for like the year? <laughs> so that I can just be good and I can be like, you know, rest easy for a few weeks. So I don't have to kind of be like, okay, God, <laughs> tomorrow you got to provide again. Right? You're good. We're good, right? Good? But it's a daily thing that God says, just walk with me. Trust me. We're good. I've got you. And it's a renewal thing every single day. Now, this is an interesting part, but God says, okay, every day it's going to rain down this manna. And then on, but then he goes and he kind of gives a little twist to the deal. He says, on the sixth day, Okay, you're not supposed to save any of it. You just collect what you need every day. But on the sixth day, it's going to be a little bit different. On the sixth day, God says, I want you to collect as much as you want. 
or double the proportion that you normally collect. I want you to do that, and I want you to save it on the sixth day only, because on the seventh day, he says, I'm going to set that day aside. It's going to be a day of rest. It's going to be a Sabbath. It's going to be where you don't do normal work. You can go golfing. You can go to a village center and worship with some other people. You can do some other stuff, and that's cool. But your normal work is set aside. Whatever you normally do for work, off. Don't do it. And he said, by the way, even if you try to do it, I'm not raining any food down because you need a day of rest. I'm, trust me on this, he says. I will rain enough down that you save it just on the sixth day so that the seventh day you can just eat and you're good. And you can rest and you can worship God and it's all good. It's your day of rest. But I want to read for you what happens because the people once again don't believe God. They don't trust him. And this is after all this has been happening for a while. Okay, let me read verses 27 and 29. It says, some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath day. <laughs> they didn't listen, but they found no food. Shocking. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? Can you sense almost frustration in God? <laughs> they must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. This is, that is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. So why does God do that? Well, there's two reasons. The first one is we've already talked about. It's a faith thing. God is saying, I need you to trust. Do you know, um, I've shared this story before, but you know, you know why Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays? It's because of this. Not just this story, but because of this principle. They believe that God will bless their business like crazy if they honor a Sabbath. And they, they make sure that none of their employees, nobody works on a Sunday. No matter where it is. In fact, Laura and I have been upset. Not that they do this. But we've been traveling on a Sunday. And we're like, oh, Chick-fil-A. Oh, it's Sunday. <laughs> it's about how it goes, too. A little bit more intense for my wife than for me. But I'm still that way, too. Because Chick-fil-A and heaven are fairly close in Laura's mind. Just to, I mean... I don't know if you know that. Sorry, dear. I'm just letting you know on your secrets. Okay? I mean, this is one of those things. And you know what? I, I shared with you, I don't know, it was last year or the year before, but, but Chick-fil-A is exploding. I mean, they, they, can't, they can't build them fast enough. And they're not even open on Sunday, which is one of the biggest restaurant days of the, of the week. You know why? Because God says, Trust me in this. And he is pouring out like crazy on Chick-fil-A. It's very obvious. Clearly obvious. They're blowing KFC out of the water. And KFC has like four times as many stores. And they're open on Sunday too. But the sales are blowing them out of the water. And it's this principle. God says, I need you to trust me. But there's another reason that he does this. Why God does this, is he says, I need you to take a day of rest. Did you notice what God said? He said, it's my gift. I'm giving this to you. Trust me, once you do this, God says, you will say, wow, this is awesome. This whole day of rest thing is amazing. God says, yeah, I know. I kind of instituted it. 
And he wants them to experience the freedom and the joy that comes when people live life like God has ordained it, has set it up. But so often we just ramrod right over it. So the truth is here this morning, there's this tension between us and God. Just like with the Israelites. There's this authority of God over us where we just submit to Him and we say, okay, God, whatever you want, how you want us to live life, we will try to do our best. We're not going to do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly, guys. Okay? But we do our best to live under God's authority. Faith in God. Every day, we renew it every day. And and we fight against this tension where we as human beings, and I know this tension because I'm a little bit of a control person. I am. Some of you know that about me. and You've seen it. You're like, yeah, he is. And and so I want to make choices. I want to make plans. And I want to execute them. And I want them to happen like this. And when God puts on the brake from the passenger seat, or he turns the wheel on me. And I go, God, I, you know, I, I thought I had this worked out. I, I mean, I, I was pretty sure this was a pretty good plan. And he says, nope, <laughs> it wasn't. I'm glad you think highly of yourself, but I'm God. I'm not sure if you knew that. I kind of know a little bit more. Just a little bit. And there's that tension. And God says, please, just place your life in my hands, trust me in this, and let's walk together every single day. And God doesn't say, yeah, it's going to be easy. But he says, but I will know exactly what you need to do, where you need to step, and I'll help you every step of the way. It's not going to be easy. Bad things can definitely happen. But I am there through the good, through the bad, and through the ugly, and through everything else in between. It's not that God makes it everything perfect. Let me, let, let's be honest. The Israelites ate quail and manna for 40 years. I'm tired of pizza after like two days. And pizza's pretty good. Okay? So things were not just like, woo-woo, all the time. But God took care of them. They could trust Him. And He did what was best for them. So that's where we need to be. It might be one of those things that uh, your job that you thought should happen differently. It could be something in your family that you really, you had planned on this, you had thought this, and and it has changed. It hasn't happened that way. And you're like, God, why are you changing this? Why are you allowing this to change? Sometimes it's not a God-allowing thing. Sometimes it just happens because of sin in this world. You guys know that, right? Sometimes things happen. In fact, a lot of things happen in this world simply because it's messed up by sin. Sin has twisted it. But when those times come, we need to trust in God. Uh, You remember I started out with driver's ed this morning? Remember I started out with that? Well, I want to tell you a story. When I was in driver's ed, uh, at that time, they don't do this, I don't think, much anymore, but it was through the high school. And so uh, I was in, uh, I was actually in the back seat. There were two other student drivers that were riding along. There's a student driver driving, and then the instructor was over there with his brake pedal, you know. And on this particular day, we had already done all the turning and the traffic lights and all that kind of stuff. So we'd driven several times. And so this, uh, it was like the fourth time out driving with the instructor. And so this time was, we were learning how to merge onto fast traffic, the interstate. Okay? 
which honestly was a little daunting. I, you know, I was like, I mean, when you haven't gone that fast and actually driving the car, you're going, this is really fast, <laughs> you know? And so uh, we were going, and, and I was in the back, and the other student, two student driving, and then there's another student driver driving. And, uh, and, and as she pulled up, went on the entrance ramp, and she started to, you know, get ready to merge on the traffic, the instructor was gently just reminding, say, make sure you check your blind spot, get your signal on, let them know that you're coming in, make sure your speed's about evenly matched, and all kind of stuff. Just kind of reminder of those. And, okay, let's check your blind spot again, everything. So we get to the point where, you know, the, the, the lane starts to end, and so she's got to start merging over into the, into the right lane. And just as she starts doing that, the instructor, I mean, slams on the brakes. We all go forward, and he yanks, he reaches over because he didn't have his own wheel, and he yanks the wheel over to the shoulder. And just as he did that, a semi just goes, and I'm used one of those, you know, when a car, a truck goes right by you and it shakes the car, that's what it did. I mean, it would have just crushed us. The reason I tell that story is this. We get frustrated with our life and with God and with other people all the time, don't we? I know you do because I do. <laughs> All the time. And we get frustrated when God hammers on the brakes in our lives. And we, or he yanks the wheel and it takes us in a way that we didn't think we were going to go. But the truth is, why, let's ask the question, why does God do that? He does it for two reasons. And it's the same reasons that instructor did it. He wants to protect us from ourselves and from others. From the world. And he wants us to learn and grow in what it means to check our blind spots. To make sure that we're living life according to how God wants us to live. Just like that driver's ed instructor, God wants to protect us from being destroyed. From making decisions that's going to take us down a path that God knows the end of it. We don't know the end of it. He does. And he says, that's not a good path. You don't want to do that. And God says, I need you to go down this way. So we're going to put on the brakes and we're going to turn the wheel. But sometimes what we do is we take the wheel back and we just head back down the other path, don't we? God says, no, no, no. Trust me, you don't want to do that. But it's hard. When God puts on the brakes, we have to learn to trust him and learn to grow in our faith in him. And it's a daily thing. It's not like you get it one day and you're like, okay, I'm good to go now. It's a daily, consistent commitment that you have to renew with him every day. Um, this is one of those things that obviously didn't plan uh, in the sermon, uh, but I just want to share something that happened to you that's kind of um, horrific a little bit in our congregation. Um, you guys know Kurt and... Um, Sorry. Kurt and Lori Quickle. Um, I just got word on Friday afternoon that, um, that her mom was driving and uh, Lori's brother was riding with her. And, um, and there was another car that came across the center line and collided with them head on and killed her brother instantly. And, uh, and her mom's in the hospital. And I know it was a little bit touch and go. So her brother's gone, and, uh, and her mother's fighting for her life, so to speak, at this point. 
and they went down to Illinois yesterday um, just to, you know, be there with family and all that kind of stuff. So I share that for two reasons. Um, one, you need to make sure you respect their privacy. Um, so if you feel like a card or something like that is appropriate, that would be awesome. But I think the main thing is you just need to pray for them. You would. Um, because I know, you know, it was just surprising news, horrific news. And, um, and I talked with Lori and I talked with Kurt on, on Friday. Um, and they're doing okay. Um, down in Illinois now with their family and all that stuff. But here's why I bring that up. I want you to pray for them. But I also want to bring this full circle to closure and and help us realize. Putting your life under the authority of God is the most important thing you have to do. Because when we leave this earth, there's no guarantee apart from us being under the authority of Christ. There's no guarantee other than Jesus. And I know people put their faith and hope in a lot of things, but that is the ultimate. And what we talked about today is a faith issue. It's a faith issue. I know that. I can't prove to you about all these things. But I just encourage you, as you think about where you're at in life, ask yourself this question. Have I given my entire life, have I released all control of my life to God at this point? Have I given it to Him? Have I, with open arms, completely offered it to Him and allowed Him to take control? Because without doing that, that's the only guarantee that we have in this life. And this is why we are together, isn't it? It's so that we can try to go through this life together and help each other out with these things. We're not meant to do this by ourselves. We're not meant to go through this stuff on our own. And that's why we are here. Sunday morning, you know, we do all the stuff. But the real rubber meets the road, the real deal stuff happens when we help and support each other to live a life under the authority of Christ and what that means when we pray for each other, when we lift each other up, when we help encourage each other, when we call each other out, when we know we're going down a bad path. That's what we're here for. And so if you would just do two things uh, today. I know we're going to want to (laughs) fest. Talk about... Yeah, crazy way to go into Wanafest. But the truth is, just do two things. One, ask yourself that question. Have I given my life to Christ? Have I, have I given control of my life to God? And then two, just as you think of different people, and Kurt and Lori would be one of those, just would you pray for them? Would you just offer them up to God? As people pray for them, I guarantee you that they'll, they'll feel that presence from God because he honors that. So would you pray for them? Anybody else that you know that needs prayer, pray for them too. Let's lift each other up because this trusting in God thing is a daily thing and it's not always easy. So let's do that together. Can we do that? I know we can and I know we do, but we can keep getting better at it. And so let's do that.
Would you join me? Let's pray for Kurt and Lori, and let's pray for ourselves. God, I thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son Jesus for us. And I thank you so much that we can trust you, that we can trust you completely. I know it's a daily thing, but it's hard for us, God, sometimes. So I pray for anybody in here. They've never surrendered their life to you, Jesus. I pray that they would do that now. And if they're not sure how to do that, would you just guide and direct them to do that, how to do that? Or if they need to ask me or somebody else, just I pray that you just let them do that. I thank you for the, the, the gal last week that accepted you, Jesus, for the first time. That was awesome. I praise you for that. It's a person who's signed and sealed for, for you. And it's, a, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. So I pray for anybody here that's never given their life, their control, the control of their life over to you. I pray that they would do that today. And that they would let us know about that. But God, we also just pray for Kurt and Lori. I pray that you'd be so, so near to them. We all go through hard stuff, God. Some of us may be in here going through hard things. But we just we specifically know about Kurt and Lori, and I know that they're they're hurting, they're grieving. I pray that you would be so near to them and give them that peace that passes understanding that I like to pray for all the time for people. You promise that you can give that. I pray I pray that for Kurt and Lori and their family. I even pray that for the driver of the other car who I know is gonna deal with this for a long time. God, would you just supersede that whole whole situation? May you watch over Lori's mom and protect her, give her healing. Pray this in your name, Jesus. I, I ask this in your name. And God, for all of us in here, may you help us to trust you. God, forgive me when I've not trusted you. Forgive me for when I've not trusted you. Pray that you'd help all of us to trust you, not just at times, but every day. We love you, God. You're an amazing God. We trust you. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus.